Good morning, everyone. If you want to open your Bibles, we are in Hebrews chapter 11. And this morning, we find ourselves at verse 20, and we're actually, Lord willing, we're going to cover verses 20 through 22. And as we have been through chapter 11 so far, this great hall of faith, these heroes of the faith that the Bible doesn't hold up just for us to admire, but chapter 12 makes clear these individuals are supposed to be examples to us. Because of the faith that we have in Christ, we can accomplish and do the same types of things that they were able to do. Not saying we're going to recreate the unique historical period of each one of these individuals, but the idea is the faith that they displayed is the same faith that we possessed. And what they could do in the face of impossible odds in trusting God, we can do. In fact, that is the key overarching theme is that God is trustworthy. God is faithful. And if you place your faith in him, you should be able to trust him regardless of the circumstances of life. And so, so far in this chapter, we began with the initial discussion of creation of that being an exercise of faith, that we can believe that God created everything as evidence of faith. But then we got into this list of individuals. We went through Abel and Enoch, Noah and Abraham, and we spent extensive time with Abraham. And in essence, verses 20 to 22 could be an extension of the life of Abraham. In other words, these are the patriarchs who immediately descended from Abraham And they're being held up to us as an example as well. Now, again, Abraham was the ultimate example of faith because he is the founder of the nation of Israel. So in their eyes, he was their great hero. And after we cover the patriarchs, the next person we're coming to is Moses. And he's there. If Abraham was, and it's in a far less significant sense, if Abraham was their George Washington, Moses was their Abraham Lincoln. These were two towering figures in the history of the nation. And what we are to see by these individuals whose lives come in between is this continuing theme of faith. Now, it occurred to me as I was going through the studying and working yesterday to remember the beginning of the chapter. Look up at verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11. Just a reminder, all this began with the discussion of what faith is. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And really, Abraham is so, all of these individuals are exemplars of this. They've all evidenced this in their lives. But Abraham is instructive. God promised him great things. We spent a lot of time covering the life of Abraham. At various points, there's two different emphasis on Abraham in this chapter. God promised him several things. Promised him numerous descendants beyond the sands of the seashore, stars in the sky. Promised him that he would have specific land. As I mentioned before, a seminary professor used to say he was promised land, seed, and blessings. He was also promised prosperity, blessings of life beyond anything he could imagine. His descendants would be blessed. Even to the point of, you know, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. There was something special about Abraham. Yet as we saw in our discussions of him, he never saw all those promises. He did see his son born, but he didn't see all those things. 
That's what Hebrews 11:13 is talking about in general. If you look at verse 13, it says, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. The idea being that Abraham trusted God, even though he realized he didn't see everything that God had promised him. Verse 13 goes on. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Here's the point. I can't reteach that, but the idea was they saw beyond their temporal existence. They knew there was an eternity. Abraham knew that Christ was coming one day. He knew the promises would be fulfilled in the future. And so even though God did not fulfill every promise in his lifetime, he trusted God. He had faith. He died, as did other men of faith, with full assurance that God is faithful. He had the ability to see beyond his immediate life to recognize that what God was doing transcended himself. That the promises of God, the things that God was talking about, would continue even after he passed away. He wasn't so self-centered as to think that he was the beginning and ending of all life. He knew that even though he was going to die, God was going to continue working. And this concept of facing death with faith is really on display in the next three examples that we see. We're going to look briefly this morning, and each one of them is addressed in a particular verse. We're going to see the lives of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And what we're going to see is the writer of Hebrews pointing to a specific point of their lives when they were facing death. They were facing death, and yet they still trusted God. They still had faith, and that's what's on display this morning. So let's go through this. We'll go through it verse by verse, but I'm going to read all of these verses together. If you want to follow along in your version, you can watch, beginning at verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. So again, each of these individuals, I think, as we'll see, are exemplifying faith Understanding that God's going to continue to work beyond there, as we break this apart, we'll talk about each of these, and then I think we can tie it together and understand what this should do to inspire us to live lives of faith. So let's look at verse 20 in a little bit more detail. Let's look at this example of faith, Isaac. Again, if you see over and over in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, they talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac is the child of promise. We just talked about Isaac in the prior verses because Abraham was called to sacrifice Isaac. And he thought maybe God will raise him from the dead, but he was willing to do that. But here, Isaac is standing on his own. Isaac is being held up himself as an example of faith. I won't dwell on it, but this familiar term, by faith, by faith, by faith, is just over and over throughout the chapter. This is evidence to us, regardless of what other shortcomings these men had, they did have faith in God. He's clearly stating that Isaac had the same faith as his forefathers, saving faith in God. I emphasize that, though, because the example of faith given here is a little bit of a head-scratcher. The writer is referring to a sordid event 
described in detail in the book of Genesis in chapter 27. Now, I'm not going to ask you to turn to chapter 27. I thought about doing that, but I'd wind up spending three weeks talking about Isaac because there's so much in chapter 27. So I'm going to encourage you, you can listen to what I'm saying, but you can go back and verify what I'm saying in Genesis chapter 7 if you read through the account. And many of you will be very familiar with this account. But I'm just going to go through some highlights, and I'm going to talk to you through this account, but it's not me making up a story. You can go back and read the details in Genesis chapter 27. So this is just some highlights, but first I want to emphasize Isaac was approaching his death. That's important. It's explicitly stated in the next two examples in verse 21 and 22, as he was dying, when he was dying, but that's the exact same circumstance that is being described here for Isaac. He was old, and he didn't know how much longer he had to live. If you recall the biblical account, he had two sons. He had Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older twin, and he was Isaac's favorite. Jacob was the younger twin, and I think it's safe to say he was a mama's boy. So Esau would be out hunting and doing all those kind of things. Jacob would be at home, working in the kitchen, doing those kind of things. And I'm not knocking working in the kitchen. I like to cook. This isn't a commentary on how wrong it is to have favorites. They should love their kids equally. But Scripture points out the reality. Isaac favored Esau. Rebekah favored Jacob. So Isaac knows he's soon departing this earth. He's going to die. And he wants to impart the blessing to his son Esau. Now, in and of itself, that would be normal. Esau's the oldest, but you also have this undercurrent that Esau is his favorite. But Isaac wants to give his blessing to his oldest and his favorite son. And if you recall the story, he tells Esau, this good hunter, look, go out and kill something and fix me a good savory meal. I just want a good meal, and then I'm going to give you the blessing. You go do that, you cook it, and then that'll be it. After the meal, you get the blessing, so Esau's off. He's going to go. Now, I said this is a sordid account because Rebecca overheard all of this. And she hatched a plan that was full of deception and intrigue. This would make a good TV movie. Her wheel started turning. Jacob was her favorite, and she wanted her son to have the blessing, not the oldest. Now, that's ironic because they're both her sons. But she wants the younger son, Jacob, to have the blessing. So she knows what's going on, and so she gets Jacob and says, okay, we've got, we got to do this. Quick, go get a couple of goats. We're going to get these things killed. We're going to make a meal, and then you're going to get that blessing. Jacob, you can take the food in. Your dad will bless you. You'll get the blessing. The plan will work. In essence, it was designed that, Jacob, you go lie to your father and steal the blessing that was your brother's. That's all it was going to be. Now, Jacob wasn't stupid, but he was under his mom's influence. He was going to do it, but he puts two and two together and says, wait a minute, my brother's this rugged, hairy outdoorsman, and I'm this smooth-skinned. And the mom says, don't worry about that. I'll take care of it. I mean, she really thought this through. To make sure she could fool her husband who's dying, she gets Jacob to wear Esau's clothes. 
I'm guessing they didn't have good fabric cleaners in those days, so there probably was a distinct odor if you were an outdoorsman. At least that's what the Bible account says. And then, because he wasn't a hairy guy, and his brother was, she even took some animal skins and put them on the hands and on the back of the neck, so anything that came in contact would feel... Now, that tells you, Esau must have been really hairy. I'm sorry. I've got hair on my hand, and it's not an animal skin, but this was a hairy guy. So, that's exactly what happens. Jacob goes in, and he's got the savory clothes... Excuse me, the savory food. They might have been savory clothes. I don't know. They might have spilled a lot. But the Bible says that Isaac was old and blind. He couldn't see. So that's part of the deception there. So they take his wife has taken advantage of the fact that he can't see. And so Jacob goes in and he's got the food. And Isaac smells and thinks it smells like Esau, but he hears the voice and it sounds like Jacob. So he comes over and he smells a little bit closer and he smells the clothes and they smell like Esau and he he feels, oh, that's Esau. So he eats the food and he gives the blessing. Here was the blessing that Jacob stole from Esau. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth of the earth and an abundance of grain and wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you, be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed blessed be those who bless you. That was a real blessing. Material prosperity, leadership amongst others, in your own family. Now, in the story, Esau comes home, he gets the animal prepared, and goes in there, and suddenly Isaac and Esau understand there was a deceiving plot that has occurred. So this very nice blessing was stolen by wickedness and deceit, And Esau was begging. I mean, he was desperate. Father, isn't there even a blessing left? Is there something for me? Is that it? Because Isaac told him, look, the blessing I gave is a blessing. I mean, that stays with Jacob. That that blessing is real. That's not coming back. There's no do-over. Jacob is going to be blessed in that way. And here's basically all that was left for Esau. Just a little bit of an account of what was going to happen in the future. Verses 39 and 40 of Genesis 27 say this. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. That's not much left for Esau. A little bit of an indication that there will be some tension. You're going to serve your brother, and eventually maybe you'll break free. You're going to live in a different place. Esau wanted to kill Jacob. He had been deceived. As you recall, earlier in his life, he had traded away part of his inheritance for a cup of stew. So he realizes, I have got nothing because of this thieving brother. So he was going to kill him. And then Rebecca steps in again. I mean, he really was a mama's boy. And she arranges for him to go away to find a wife amongst his people Because Rebecca says, look, I don't want him marrying any of these people around here. Make my life miserable. She saved Jacob's life. He goes away. Esau found out that would displease his mom, so he married the, the people around there just for spite. So we go back to Hebrews 11, verse 20. And all in all, 
what's described isn't a very uplifting tale. And yet Hebrews describes this sordid, intriguing, deceptive plot this way. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. Now, I have to tell you, when I first read the verse, and I was very familiar with the Old Testament history, it makes you kind of scratch your head. How does this tale of sin after sin after sin and deception evidence faith? I mean, it was intrigue, theft, dishonesty, favoritism. And yet, out of that, Isaac is held up in this instance as an example of faith. How does it happen? Well, I assure you, first of all, it does. And I pray with a little bit of perspective and thinking we can all see this. But even in a confusing situation like this, and I say confusing, it won't be confusing in a moment, I pray. But even when at first glance something like this kind of jars you and you go, really, is this an example? We do know it's true. You know why? Because the Bible says it's true. Isaac had faith. We can't debate it, we can't argue it, we can't explain it away. God's testimony is the issue is that Isaac acted in faith. In fact, as we look at Isaac's life, just write down this verse again, going back and forth, it would take a little bit. Genesis chapter 25, verse 21, shows that for all of his limitation, Isaac believed in God and prayed to God. Genesis 25, 21 says this, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So we know that Isaac knew of God. We know that Isaac had prayed to God. We know that God, at least in that circumstance, answered Isaac's prayers. We also need to remember, and this time I will ask you to turn back to Genesis. Turn to Genesis 26. We need to remember that Isaac didn't just hear about God's promises from his father Abraham, although we know he certainly did. Abraham would have told him that he was the child of promise. No doubt Abraham would have explained many things to him. But in Genesis chapter 26, and I'll read the first six verses, we see something about Isaac directly. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Verse 2. The Lord appeared to him. So, right there, Isaac had direct revelation from God. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Verse 6, so Isaac lived in Gerar. Now Isaac was not perfect. He was at times fearful. I think it was wrong that he favored one child over another. At times, he acted without faith. I think it's interesting, if you read in further in Genesis 26, there's an account where he followed in his father's footsteps. Because Rebekah was beautiful. And he was afraid they would kill him over Rebekah, so he had Rebekah lie about their marital status. I mean, that was right out of the pages of Abraham who did that twice. So, 
we have this individual who wasn't perfect, and yet he did have the promises of God on his life. He did have faith in God despite his imperfections. He had God's promises, not only that he would have heard from his father, but he had them directly from God. So now, how does all of that come through in the account in that one verse that we read of that deals with this soap opera of a family drama? I think it comes across this way. Remember, even in that drama, Isaac was ignorant of what was going on. He wasn't hatching a plan. He was just passing on a blessing. But he was passing on the promises of God that had been given to him. You think about that promise that to your descendants all these blessings are coming. He was just passing on what he had been given from God. He knew he was going to die. And I think this is critical. He knew that his death wasn't the end of God's working. God was going to continue to work. He thought in his own mind that God was going to continue working through Esau. Whereas, even though this came about, God was going to work through Jacob. But what he knew in his heart and what he was passing on was that he knew the plans and the promises of God would continue. What Jacob was promised by Isaac in the stolen blessing that we read in Genesis 27, 28, and 29 was a reflection of what God had promised Isaac in the verse we just read, 26, 1 to 6. We've got to peel away some of the layers of the deception of the account, which the Bible records in accurate terms, and recognize the heart of Isaac. He believed God's promises. God promised him that his descendants were going to have these things. He believed it, and he was passing that on to his descendants. Isaac knew what God had promised his father, Isaac, knew what he had promised him personally, and he knew and believed that God was going to fulfill those promises. I believe that's the point of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. Isaac believed God. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight, and we can see how God can even bring good out of human wickedness. God didn't cause those sins. God wasn't telling the lies. Rebecca and Jacob were not acting in faith at the time of their elaborate deception of Isaac. They were acting from selfish, sinful motives, it appears. Seems like Rebecca might have been acting out of favoritism and greed, and at the very least, Jacob was complicit in his mom's deception. But God was working even in the midst of that. They didn't have Romans... 828 of how God works all things together, but this is an example of it. Even after the deception was found out, Isaac made clear the blessing stood. He understood God was going to work. He might have been surprised at that moment to recognize that God was going to work through Jacob instead of Esau, but he did know God was going to work. That's the point. The writer of Hebrews is not making a positive statement about the wickedness and pettiness of Rebekah and Jacob or even Esau. That's not the point. He's not holding them up as an example of faith in that instance of their lives. You're going to find out in a moment Jacob did have faith. But in that instant, that's not what's being happened here. It's not being praised. What's being happened is we're seeing something of the heart of Isaac in that even in his dying days when he couldn't see and his life was coming to an end, he still trusted God was going to work. He believed the promises of God that he had been given. I think that's why the writer of Hebrews is looking to when he says at the end of verse 20, 
even regarding things to come. In other words, Isaac was passing on blessings related to God's fulfillment of the promises he had already made that he knew would occur in the future. Isaac had not seen them yet, just like Abraham had not seen them all. Isaac knew he wouldn't see all of those promises that he had received directly from God. He wouldn't see them all fulfilled in his lifetime. But at the moment of his death, he had complete confidence that God would be faithful to his word. God would continue to work even after he had passed away. God would continue to fulfill his promises. I think that's the overarching point that we're supposed to glean from these verses. Now let's look again at Jacob. Because if all we knew in the Bible was him jumping at his mom's commands, we might not have a positive view of him. But when we get to verse 21, we read this. By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Now my first thought, and I actually wrote it in my note, praise the Lord that God uses sinners. And that sinners can be saved. Otherwise, we might struggle looking at Jacob as an example of faith. We might struggle in ourselves because we realize we are sinners as well. But Jacob is an example of faith. I believe we will be with Jacob in heaven. And again, the sordid tale of deception that inevitably we just had to cover is not commendable. I think Jacob did a wicked thing in plotting and deceiving his father with the help of his mother. And he didn't have a defense because his mom told him to do it. He was old enough to know better. But God still used Jacob's life. God still used Jacob to bring about his ultimate fulfillment of all these promises. Jacob was one of the promised descendants of Abraham. And the writers of Hebrews are saying to us that this flawed, imperfect man is an example we can emulate in his faith in this particular instance in his life. Again, it says, by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worship leaning on the top of the staff. Now, this historical account that's being referenced in this verse, we actually glean from two chapters of the book of Genesis. I'm not going to have you turn there right now. But it's in Genesis, the end of Genesis 47 and chapter 48. And again, this is critical. Jacob, like Isaac, was dying. What's being held up, this particular example of faith that we're to see, is when he was dying. It's explicit. And he had had a life of much trial and heartache. You know, he had been run around the block by his father-in-law a few times. He eventually was reunited with his brother Esau, but he was scared to death that his brother was still going to kill him. At the end of his life, though, he was reunited in Egypt with his son Joseph. And you recall, he basically buried a son and lived without a son for a long time. Some of you have lost children. I have not lost a child that has come out of the womb. But he loved Joseph, and he thought Joseph was dead, and he'd given up hope of ever seeing him. And yet, at the end of his long life, God brought about miraculously the deliverance of his family because they were starving to death. Joseph had gone before them into Egypt, where you understand the account, and Joseph enabled Jacob and his sons to live. So they were saved from starvation. They had come to this new land. But like his father Isaac, Jacob understood. I mean, he was ending his life in Egypt. 
He wasn't going to inherit the promised land in his lifetime. All those things he might have heard, I used the analogy before of, you know, you're driving by and somebody's telling you, that's your house, boy, that's your house. He wasn't going to see it. He would not receive all the blessings that God had promised before his death. Yet as Hebrews teaches us, he died well, he died in faith. Again, this brief account in Hebrews 11.21 actually reflects two related events. If you want to turn over now to Genesis chapter 47 and go to verse 29. So Genesis chapter 47 verse 29. And just hold your place there because we're going to also look down into verse 48 in just a few moments. But we actually have to see two parts here because the writer of Hebrews combined these two accounts to put some information before us. And what we're going to see at the end of Genesis chapter 47, if you have a place there and you also still have verse 21 in front of you, at the end of verse 21 it says that Jacob worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. That aspect of the verse is found in Genesis 47, verses 29 to 31, and it says this. When the time for Israel to die drew near, by that time God had changed his name to Israel. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he, Joseph, said, I will do as you have said. Verse 31, he said, swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. So what the writer of Hebrews is picking up is that even as he was ending his life, he was still a worshiper of God. Now, we read in Hebrews about the reference to the top of his staff. We read in Genesis talking about the head of the bed. If you dug into this, the word in Hebrew could be translated both ways. The Greek translation of the Old Testament translated it along the line of staff, which is what the writer of Hebrews followed. But the idea isn't the specific there. The idea is the position of worship. He was worshiping. Even as his life was ending, he had a heart of worship before the Lord. That's the key focus. The most salient point here is that Jacob had a true faith in God, and even as he was preparing to die, he continued to worship. He was humble before God. So I think the writer of Hebrews is using this portion that actually comes before the blessing to let us know the hard attitude of Jacob when this blessing occurred. This was a humble man in a worshipful position before a sovereign God. And it says in Hebrews, as he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Now we're running a little bit short on time, so I won't go into the verses, but you'll find the blessing there in verse 48. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And in Genesis 48, Jacob tells Joseph, he recounts to Joseph the faithfulness of God. He recounts the promises of God, he recounts God's faithfulness, and he passes on blessings and promises to Joseph's two sons. Here there was no intrigue and deception at the end of his life. It is interesting that sovereignly, once again, the blessing went to the younger son. Even though Jacob couldn't see... 
he put his hand on the younger son, and Joseph was going, Dad, you get no, 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 this is the younger one. And Jacob was like, no, this is, this is the blessing. There's shades of Jacob and Esau, the younger getting the blessing without the deception and the deceit and the trickery. Somehow God made clear to Jacob, no, bless the younger first. Now, it's interesting, and we, again, we don't have time to go there, but if you read through Genesis 49, Jacob blesses each one of his sons. He goes through each one and he gives blessings. So there were a lot of blessings that he gave out at the end of his life. The writer of Hebrews, though, thinks for our purposes, the most instructive example is just for us to focus on this blessing of Joseph's sons. I only point that out. It's not like he didn't bless anyone else. It's just God is pointing us towards this particular circumstance. Yet the divinely inspired author felt this one account was sufficient to show that Jacob was a true follower of God. He had true faith, and that can be seen that even when he was facing death, and he hadn't seen the fulfillment of all that God had promised, he knew God would do it. He knew it would continue, even though every single member of his family was in Egypt. The promised land wasn't in Egypt. But even when he's taking the blessings, he tells Joseph, look, I know you're leaving here. Take my bones. Bury me back at the family plot. Go up to Perry. I can show you a couple places my family members are buried. There's always some reason in my grandpa's mind it was a big deal to have a place for your family to be buried. We're all going to do that. In this case, though, you see, even as he's blessing, when you look at the account in Genesis, you see that Jacob knew God was going to work. At that point, it was by the skin of their teeth that they were in Egypt and not starving to death, but he knew God was going to fulfill his word. That's the point for us. And he didn't waver. Even in death, he trusted the Lord. Now, let me quickly, and I took a little more time than I expected. I want to get through Joseph, though. So back in Hebrews 11, because this is all a continuation and progression. These are related. You can see how this is occurring We see the baton passing. It was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, now Joseph. Verse 22, By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Again, as with Isaac and Jacob, the writer here is focusing on this point when Joseph was going to die. When he was dying. Now, I think of all the examples, Joseph was one that we could go to all parts of his life and see faithfulness. (laughs) I mean, he was somebody that trusted God in ways we can't even comprehend. He trusted God time and time again, even when life seemed unfair, even when he was left in prison, he was sold into slavery, he was falsely accused, on and on, he was forgotten. He kept trusting God. In fact, he had a better understanding of the sovereignty of God than I think most of us could ever imagine. The end of Genesis chapter 50, right before the blessing that's talked about, in fact, turn over to Genesis chapter 50. We're going to look at verse 19 first. But this is just his faith in the sovereignty of God and understanding that even though he had been through all kinds of things in his life, God was in charge. Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. Very familiar story. His brothers thought, okay, dad's dying. He's going to kill us. He's got all the power of Egypt. He can really get back at us. Verse 19. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So God 
could have directed us to any number of events in Joseph's life to see him exercise faith. Yet the author of Hebrews points to the very end of his life for our purposes. This final example of the type of faith that he would want us to emulate. We'll continue reading in verse 22 of Genesis 50. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the sons of Maker, the son of Manasseh, was, were born on Joseph's knees. Now verse 24 begins to talk about the portion that we see in Hebrews. Verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now, Hebrews summarizes this account this way. It says, he made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Now, this is an astounding example of faith. I want to, even though I'm trying to hurry to finish, I want to make clear what's going on here. Joseph is in Egypt. He'd lived most of his adult life in Egypt. He might have had faint memories from his childhood, but early on he was sold into slavery So whatever the promised land was, it wasn't a present reality to him. He was probably a teenager when he was sold into slavery. He lived to be 110. Is that what it said? I forget the age. 110. So he lived most of his life in Egypt. Probably in his heart of hearts, he was closer to being an Egyptian in terms of what he knew than the promised land. But he really believed that God was going to do what God said. God promised them real estate over there. God didn't promise them Egypt. And he, when he's about to die, he tells his brother, look, one day God's going to bring you out of here. But God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath. Here's the point. That was 400 years in the future. That wasn't anywhere close. And yet he believed it with all his heart. He knew God was going to do what God said he was going to do. Even though it might not be until the future. In fact, he was so confident of it, that he said, take my bones. Just like his dad said, take, I don't want to be here. Take my bones back to wherever. Says he gave orders concerning his bones. He said the same thing. He's like, we're not, this isn't where God has for us. Our people are going to be back because God promised it. And if God promised it, it will be fulfilled. You can bank on it. He had complete faith that God promised something, God would do it, even if it was not in his lifetime. Again, I'm running out of time, but if you write down the reference, if you looked at Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, what you would see is that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because of that very thing. 400 plus years later, they still remembered, the nation still remembered what Joseph said. Now, here's where I want to tie all these examples together. I hope none of us are dying this week and passing on blessings this week. That's not the point. The point is, though, that God can be trusted, that God is faithful. These three patriarchs had true faith, and they carried it with them even to their death. Even as they were dying, they were not in despair, even though they hadn't seen everything they thought they would see in their lifetimes. 
didn't make them doubt God's promises or his faithfulness. They just knew if it's not done now, God will work at future. They knew God was still working. He would continue working after they were gone. He would continue working until every promise of God is fulfilled. The lesson for us is we should have that same faith in God's promises. And where do we get God's promises? We get God's promises from his word. If the Bible promises you something, you can believe it. Even if you don't see it worked out the way you thought you would. Even if your plans are thwarted by some other scheming. Even if the way you had it mapped out isn't the way God chooses to work. You can still trust God. And if you're in the midst of hardships and trials and challenges, the types of things that make challenges is, I'm going to think that one up. I'm going to try and spell that word later. No matter what you're going through, the promises of God are true. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He holds you. The Father holds you in his hand. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. All those promises are true. And the lives of these three men are held up just to show us that we can trust God. Please join me as I close us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us have hope and encouragement from these verses. Lord, we don't understand your ways at times. We know what you've promised in your word, but sometimes we visualize how we think those promises will be fulfilled, and it doesn't work that way. I pray in those moments we wouldn't doubt you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us faith and strength to continue to trust in you even when we don't see how things are going to work out. Lord, help us to live lives of complete trust in you. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.